So this morning, I just want to quickly look at what I've titled the perspective of punishment. A lot of the time we get the idea of punishment wrong. Some think we are not under God's judgment because we have Jesus. And that's true, that is biblical, but that's only half the story. The other half is that we are wretched sinners who deserve punishment. But when God comes to judge the earth, he doesn't look at us, he looks at his son. His son's righteousness, the blood of the lamb who covers us. Some believe that things go wrong in our lives because God is punishing us. Uh, and we're getting paid back for our sins. Now that was a very prominent thought, especially in the Jewish mind. You know, when we look at the people who were sick or disabled or deaf or, or couldn't see, and when Jesus healed them, often they would say, have mercy on me, you know, please. And that was because they believed that their issues were a result of their sin, and that was punishment. Now we all know this, why is it always me, God? Who said that before? <laughs> why does this always happen to me? And then we get some people who tend to blame the devil for everything that goes wrong. The devil made me do it. Or the devil is, is going for me. You know, the devil's causing me to be irritable, whatever it is. You fail the test, you smash the car, you swear to a friend, you fall asleep in church, the devil made me do it. Or the demons did that. And we often see this in very hyper-charismatic churches, is that the devil gets blamed for a lot of specific things. You know, uh, laziness, depression, poverty, sickness. We blame the devil for those things. And we often hear, okay, I bind you, Satan, or I bind the demons. Now, I'm not too concerned about who's doing the binding. I want to know who keeps unbinding him, that he carries on doing what he's doing. But I'd, I'd <laughs> digress from that. I want to talk about the perspective of punishment. So how should we look at punishment? Now, what I mean by that is how do we understand it? What does it mean to us as believers? And I think it's important that we go through some of these theological doctrines, things that we believe. Because if we don't have a very fundamental and solid, rigid understanding of things, we're going to, you know, flay and flounder. And we're going to believe things that we shouldn't believe, or we're going to start, have, it's going to have a ripple effect on other things. So if we have an obscure uh, understanding of punishment, we might have an obscure understanding of, well, what, what did Jesus' sacrifice mean? How does God see us? All those kinds of things. And all the time we should aspire to get closer and closer to God's word. We often take the things that we know for granted. Okay, so maybe we know that things like Pride Month, homosexuality are more clear cut for us. But things like speaking in tongues, should we do it? When should we do it? How should we do it? These are the kind of things that maybe we need to spend a bit of time on just so we have solid convictions. And like I said, that's going to help us in our faith. If we don't have fundamentals right, we're going to get it wrong later on. Now, certain things are less important than other things, granted. Uh, but I don't want to focus on those things. I just want to look at punishment today and the perspective that we should approach punishment. So I want to look at Isaiah 66 today, verse 1 to 4. I'm not very, being very good. I'm not focusing too much on the context of the passage, which is, is quite bad. <laughs> we shouldn't do that. But I just want to take it at, at verse level. And it's more of an anchor text that we can see a pattern here that I want to explain. Isaiah 66, verse 1 to 4. This is the last chapter of Isaiah. 
And this is when the Jews have returned from exile to Babylon. They're getting ready to prepare the temple. And it kind of sums up the whole prophetic message to Isaiah. God is king. He's going to rule. There's going to be judgment for those who aren't on his side. Or, and um, he will be, his kingdom will last for eternity. So it's a grand conclusion to this book of Isaiah. And right at the beginning we see this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is the footstool for my feet. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all these things. So all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But I will look to this one, at one who is humble and contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. But the one who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a person. The one who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. One who offers a grain offering is like one who offers pig's blood. One who burns incense is like one who blesses an idol. As they have chosen their own ways and their souls delight in their abominations, so I will choose their punishments and bring on them what they dread. Because I called, but no one answered. I spoke, but they did not listen. Instead, they did evil in my sight and chose that in which I did not delight. Father God, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you'll open our hearts and our ears to what you have to say to us. May you illuminate your word so that we can understand it better and be more faithful to you. Amen. Okay, so three little things, a formula that we can find here. The first Part of this formula is that God alone is authorized to punish sin. This might seem a little bit obvious, yes, but do we always remember it? Right off the the bat, God puts things into perspective. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. We need to start with that. We can't start with the earth is his footstool and heaven is his throne. No, God is putting things into God's perspective. We need to get into God's perspective. Heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. What can man do? Where is man in this equation? Man's not in this equation. We don't factor up. We cannot compete with God. We cannot compare ourselves with God. We are mere creation. Too often we find that we are outside of his perspective. We look at our creation perspective at things. Now this is generally... We spend too much time in a creation perspective where we have to make our perspective into that of the creators. Now, we can't do that properly because we are creation. We are not the creator. But he has given us his word. He has told us what he requires. We know who he is. And we know our position in relation to him. Who else is like God? Who else can claim a heavenly throne? God alone is sovereign. God alone has authority to punish. Amen? So, Satan and his demons cannot punish you. Man cannot punish you in this eternal perspective that we're talking about. Yes, you know, if you steal something, you might get a hiding or go sit in the corner (laughs) or go to jail for 10 years, depending on the degree of what you've done. But if we're talking about an eternal perspective, do you see the difference here? We're looking at eternity, 
already we need to change our perspective. Let's look at Isaiah 13:11. Thus I'll punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. I will punish the world. Who is that? God. For what? It's evil. And the wicked for their iniquity. He will punish. His perspective. Psalm 115.3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Again, God's perspective. He does whatever he pleases. Who are we to counsel God? Job 42.2. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. We know about Job. Job was a man who had it all, and God allowed Satan to take things away from him. But Satan couldn't do that without God's authority. And God didn't punish Job. God allowed affliction upon Job, but we're not talking about punishment. Punishment we need to think about in an eternal perspective. We're changing perspective. This is a little bit confusing, bear with. It's going to make more sense as we go through. We need to change our perspective from an earthly one to an eternal one. Does God punish sinners for pulling out their mother's most beautiful roses in the garden? Maybe, maybe not, but let's change perspective. He will punish the one who has gone against his commandment to honor your mother and your father. The one who continuously goes against that commandment. The one who hasn't sought forgiveness. Do we understand? Does God punish sinners who steal objects with metal to sell at scrapyards? Eternal perspective, God commands us not to steal. Eternal perspective, higher than that, we are sinners. And we need a savior. God commands us not to steal. God also commands us to be holy. God commands us to repent. God commands us to be content with what we have. God commands us not to pursue dishonest gain. Eternal perspective. So it's not necessarily about the context of individual sins, but a heart of sin that is opposed to the things of God. When we talk about God's punishment, this is what we need to have in our, in our minds. This needs to be our perspective. We're not talking about the little things that we do. We're full of sin. We sin all the time. We are sinners. But it's our heart. What are we doing with the heart condition? What are we doing with Jesus, who has made a way to fix the heart condition? Christ was sinless, and yet he received the full wrath of God's punishment. He was a sacrifice for everyone else's sins. So what do we do about individual sins? And well, God has delegated authority to some earthly institutions. Let's look at Romans 13, for example. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. No authority except from? And those which exist are established by? Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God 
and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Okay, that's a whole another thing we can go look into. That's a whole sermon on its own. But this is the perspective I want us to think. If we're talking about punishment, we're looking at God's eternal perspective. We're looking about the heart of sin. If we're talking about punishment from a human perspective, we're talking about individual sins. We're talking about going to jail for stealing something. The two are not the same. They can't be compared. This is a result of the heart condition. So are we fixing the symptoms? Or are we fixing the cause, the actual disease? So when I talk about God alone is authorized to punish sin, he has all the authority. He is sovereign. He, he will punish sin. And it's got to do with the heart condition because we are sinners. Because we are sinners. And we need to think like this. When we sin, we fundamentally sin against God. Yes, if I smack you in the face and rip your hair out and take your clothes, I've committed a transgression against you, absolutely, and if I get caught, I should be punished by the authority that God has delegated to human institutions. You know, the police can come and lock me away. And that's good, and that's what should happen. But doing that is a result of something that's gone on in the inside, the sinful condition that's gone on on the inside, and that is fundamentally a transgression against Almighty God. We are sinners, and God is authorized to punish sin. That also means the context for punishment is eternal. God is eternal. We're looking at the eternal perspective. Punishment for sin is an eternal thing. It has to be an eternal thing. So if I do something wrong now, and I feel like, okay, God's made the, it's so cold because I swore at my mother last night or whatever. Punishment is eternal. And God's not going to change the weather just for you. So does God punish now? How does he punish us now if he does? And what does it look like? Well, we'll get to that. We're working the formula. So the first one is that God alone is authorized to punish sin. Amen? Like I said, it's confusing. We'll get to it now. Secondly, man alone is responsible for his sin. Again, the devil can't punish you and the devil can't make you sin. Man alone is responsible for his sin. If we look at the first two verses again, we can see uh, a haughtiness. Where is this house you will build for me? Where is the place of my rest? What can we do to appease God? What can man do? Man is proud. Man is conceited. Man has a problem with a heart. And man is responsible for his sin. And when you start looking at that, maybe we want to serve God. Maybe we want to do something with, you know, what he's revealed to us. But we want that on our own terms most of the time. I will tell you how I want to serve you, God. Like the Israelites who returned from exile, their faith became their religion. The temple was their all. Much of their religious ceremony is what mattered to them. But what does God require? One who is contrite and humble. One who trembles at his word. 
Now, when I say man alone is responsible for his sin, this is a characteristic that we need to have as well. Are we taking responsibility for our sin? Are we understanding the consequence of the sinful condition that we have? If we are, this is the one that God requires. Humble and contrite in spirit. One who trembles at his word. Not one who takes it lightly. Not one who takes sin and salvation lightly. Not one that takes his revelation lightly. One who trembles at his word. How many of you have ever shaken in your boots when you've been reading the Bible? Some passages, we need to be doing that, especially when we get to Revelation and we find out what's coming. Unless we've got Jesus. Contrite literally means lame or disabled, but it is used with spiritual significance. One who has been disabled, one who has been damaged by sin. And God requires us to be aware of the sinful condition and accept that responsibility. Man alone is responsible for his sin. Do we recognize that? Do we recognize that condition? In verse 3 of Isaiah 66, we see four similes. He who kills a bull is like one who slays a man. He who sacrifices a lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers grain offering is like one who offers pig's blood. He who burns incense is like one who blesses an idol. All of these were religious rituals that were performed. And so the comparison that is being made is he who offers a sacrifice or sacrifices lamb is like one who breaks a dog's neck. A dog is not a worthy animal of sacrifice. It's insulting. If you had to break a dog's neck or offer a dog as a sacrifice to God, that's an insult. That's blasphemy. And so he who offers a lamb is just like one who's offering this horrible insult. That's the point being made here. Your religious ceremony doesn't mean anything. This face, this disguise, this facade you're putting up means nothing to God. We can contextualize that as well. Um, he who comes to church, he who comes to church and sings songs of praise is like one who swears like a troop on Saturday night. He who prays before every meal, giving thanks to God for what God has provided for him, is like one who gambles away what God has given him in the casino. Do you understand what I'm saying here? All these things that we do, all these things that we say, mean nothing because we are not taking responsibility for our sin. And we are responsible for sin. Where's the genuine responsibility? Where's the genuine repentance? Nobody else can repent for you. Nobody else can get you saved. You alone are responsible. Compare this with what David says in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Not mine, not my standards, not my terms and conditions. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
This is a man who has taken responsibility for his sin. He's not trying to carry favor with God. He's not trying to blame somebody else. He's not trying to deny that there's any sin, that there's a heart condition that, there's, that is making problems. Here's somebody who is contrite in his condition, fully deserving of God's punishment, and a man who recognizes that. So again, how do we move from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective? There's an all-powerful God who has authority, who has standards as well that cannot be met. Therefore, our attitude can be nothing but humility, contriteness, a recognition of our complete, of our complete nothingness before God. First Chronicles 29:17. Since I know, O oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now, with joy, I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. There's a recognition. You try the heart. You delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, having taken responsibility, have understood my condition, willingly offer these things up to you. Psalm 147, 10 to 11. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He does not take pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness. And we know there's a way to salvation from our sins as well. What are we doing with Jesus? Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. What are we doing with Jesus as well? As the Lord says to Zion, man has chosen his own ways and delights in his own abominations. Man is responsible when our perspective changes, we realize that we deserve God's punishment. And we recognize that we need a savior and should turn to Christ. So, God alone is authorized to punish sin. Man alone is responsible for his sin. Which means God has standards. God's going to condemn those who don't meet those standards. And man cannot meet those standards. Never, ever, ever can man meet those standards. But in all of this, God has provided a path to salvation. God has given us Christ Jesus. And so part of this recognition that we have a responsibility for our sin is doing something about it. You know, we often hear about rights and responsibilities from school. And we talk about all these rights that we have. And the second part of that is the responsibility to, you know, behave like a decent citizen. Otherwise, you shouldn't be allowed to have a shelter or everything. So part of responsibility is us doing something about it. And God's given us something to do about it. And we need to do something about that. Then we get to the third point. God will punish sin. 
God has the authority to punish sin. Man is responsible for his sin, and God will punish sin. This is what I think is maybe the most informing part of this message. Because mankind has chosen to delight in sin and ignore the call of God, as we see in Isaiah, he will choose their punishments. And to me, that's such a, a powerful statement of authority and sovereignty. Because mankind has chosen all this ugly rubbish, I'm going to choose your punishments. And it's going to be the things that mankind dreads. Just think about that. God just deals out punishments. Here's mankind transgressing. Remember I've said it's a fundamental transgression against God. This heart condition that we aren't doing anything is a transgression against God. And he says, I'm just going to hand out punishments. The things that you dread. Like it, it's not any effort. God alone has authority to punish sin, and God will punish sin. God has standards. God is a good God, and it's a goodness that we can never attain. We are not good. We are sinners. And God has to do something about that sin. So then this gives us this question. Where do believers fit in? We're still in the world, we're not part of the world. We have the Holy Spirit who's changing us, making us more like him every day. We have the blood of Jesus. We have his righteousness that God sees in us, not our own, but because he was a perfect atoning sacrifice. Where do we fit in? Well, let's go to Hebrews 10. But when this priest, who is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those who are in the body, those who have the Holy Spirit. And where these things have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Where these things have been forgiven, Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Offering bulls, offering lambs, offering whatever else to atone for our sin, no longer necessary. Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Punishment is for sin. Sacrifice is to atone for sin so that punishment does not occur. Christ is the perfect atoning sacrifice. Therefore, there is no punishment for those in Christ. But notice, this wasn't the start of this message. This is the conclusion to this message. We started with God who has authority to punish. God who is good, God who has standards. Then we get to man who is responsible for sin. Man who can't do anything to please God, to ever get close to God's goodness. Man who deserves punishment because of this heart condition that is fundamentally transgressing against God. Then we get to God is going to punish the sin. But wait, 
Here's Christ Jesus for the believers. However, God does discipline his children. There is an element of discipline that goes on. And this is where, again, we have to change our perspective to an eternal perspective. Proverbs 3.12, for the Lord, for whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as the father corrects the son in whom he delights. Hebrews 12.7, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? The difference is that God disciplines his children out of love with the purpose of making us stronger and more able to run this race of faith. So God disciplines us. If we look at it from a human creation perspective, we might think that God is keeping clients away from us because we got too proud and arrogant. In our business, I'm talking. If we make it God's perspective, an eternal perspective, God is keeping clients away from me to help me fix this pride and arrogance and also protect me from maybe shady business deals I'm going to make or get implicated in other crimes and things that are going on. Do you understand? With a human perspective, I get to church today thinking, Ugh, I've bumped the car on the wall and it's cold uh, and I've just got to notice that I've gone into overdraft again. God must be punishing me because I've done something wrong. That's not an eternal thing. Where's, where's eternity in that? If we come out and we bump the car and we realize, ooh, I've been in a big rush. I've forgotten God this morning. If we go into overdraft and we think that's God's punishment for our sin, we are looking at it from a humanly perspective. From an eternal perspective, is God disciplining us? Where have I been unfaithful in my finances? Or even more than that, I've done nothing wrong. This is a mistake, but God's going to make a way for me. Then we start looking at it as discipline. Punishment is eternal. Discipline is for now, to help us into the eternal. Amen? It's about changing perspective. For those outside of his righteousness, though, there is punishment. Like I said, we went through the formula. Man is responsible for his sin. What is he doing with that? Those outside of Christ's righteousness, there is punishment. Eternal punishment, like I said. We look at Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen? The sufferings of this time cannot be compared the things of now are not things of eternity. And the same is true for those that are outside of the body. The joys of this present time cannot be compared with the wrath of God in the end. For those who are loving life now and don't care about Jesus. But for those of us who have this eternal perspective, the things of now are not to be compared with the things of eternity. 
And we need to change our perspective like that. So to conclude, God alone has authority to punish sin. Man alone is responsible for his sin. God will punish sin. When we change our perspective, God alone has authority to forgive sin. Man alone is responsible to seek God's forgiveness. God will forgive those who seek his forgiveness. Amen. We have freedom in Christ. Freedom from the things of this present age. Because he has given us sights of eternity. We need this eternal perspective in our lives. This is just one aspect of it when you're looking at punishment. So I hope when we go uh, to work and school, or not school, it's holidays, when we go to work and everything else this week, things go wrong for us. Is God punishing you? Is God disciplining you? Maybe. And what should our perspective be? Eternity. Eternity needs to be our perspective.